You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. I appreciate you tuning in and trying to forget things for a little bit. Today, I have ESPN NFL and college draft analyst Matt Bowen, of course, a former Redskin, who has studied a lot of the players in this draft, including some you need to know about. Would he keep the number two pick or trade back? And who are some receivers the Skins could target in the third round? We also go deep on Chase Young, Tua Tagovailoa, and Isaiah Simmons, among others. As always, I share a few of my thoughts and provide some nuggets of information you need to know. Also, please check out my work on ESPN.com. This week, I'll explore why all signs point to Chase Young being the Redskins pick. Now, before I get to the Matt Bowen interview, here are a couple things I think you need to know. Let's start with number one, and it always goes back to the quarterback position. It continues to get talked about, so let's get back to it so I can share once more how this is viewed. I know Coach Ron Rivera created a bit of a stir when he said on a national media conference call earlier in the week that if they only had two weeks or so to prepare for the season, that Kyle Allen would would have a leg up on Dwayne Haskins. Some took that and ran and used it as an, almost as an I told you so moment, believing that Allen was always going to end up with the job here. That might be their opinion. It's just not true. When the Redskins traded for Allen, I said one of the benefits was that he knew the offense. I wasn't alone in saying this, by the way. And in an emergency situation, um, or if Haskins wasn't ready in the offense, that they were well covered. Well, if it's a situation where they only have two weeks to prepare, that's a pretty damn big emergency. It's not a reflection on Haskins. It's a reflection of the situation. Please have the ability to separate the two. That doesn't mean Haskins is going to become a star this year. It doesn't mean that he's going to hold the job all year. It just means that this is why Rivera would say that. I'm trying to provide honesty about the situation. In a normal offseason, Haskins enters as a starter, and it's his job to lose. He then has to go out and compete to keep the job. But he would go into camp with it. Allen is viewed as a good backup in insurance. If Haskins doesn't progress the way they hoped this season, I highly doubt they turn to Allen as a long-term solution. No, I believe he could get them through the season, but they'd then try to find a guy next offseason or so. But I also think it's silly to write off Haskins before knowing where he's truly at. Many are making assumptions in part based on his worst games last season, and his season has some severe splits. It's also funny because I think those who like him point to the last two games as proof of where he's going, and those who don't like him point to the earlier games. And I think a lot of that perception is shaped on what did you think of him going into the season or even the draft. And I think, you know, there's still so much more time to go in that kid's development. You have to just wait and see. I know everybody wants to say, see, I told you so. Um, I'm not always that smart. I want to see how this kid develops. Number two, and one more thing before I get to the Bowen interview, 
I'm not sure there are many young quarterbacks who have been put in a worse situation than Haskins has endured in his first two years. Let me make this clear. He could have helped himself more last season. I refuse to blame the coaches alone for all that went wrong. Other players would echo my sentiments. They know what guys do and don't do. And that said, he was drafted into a bad situation, going to a team whose coaching staff didn't want him at 15. I will say that doesn't mean they didn't want him at all, just not at 15. Some there worried that it would put undue expectations on Haskins, knowing his experience level. They knew that he was going to have to sit a year. When you take a guy at 15, people are anticipating that maybe he can come in and do a lot more than he's capable of doing at that time. It suggests he's much closer to being ready than he was. That said, he was still put into a difficult spot with the staff that had to win now. And while they, were, while they did do some things with him, perhaps it wasn't enough to truly get him ready. And again, their focus was on winning now, not on developing Dwayne Haskins. Haskins needed to be somewhere where he was being developed more. Again, there's a self-responsibility to it as well. I want to always stress that because I just I think this is a shared responsibility. But my point is the best spot for Haskins was to go somewhere with the staff, knowing their job was to develop him as much as it was to win, and who would have the time to do so. And also to a place where he had a strong veteran in front of him to help him learn and who would be the obvious starter that season. Haskins had none of that going for him in Washington. He was dropped into a chaotic situation, and now this, an unprecedented offseason in which he has to learn a new offense largely on his own. He, does, he is having some help, he, and he also has to learn a new coaching staff, and they have to learn him. He started a combined 21 games in college and the NFL. It's far from ideal for him, and you wonder about the impact, especially if the season starts later than anticipated. I will say, I tell my kids all the time, you try to turn this situation into a positive and come out on the other end stronger than when you entered. With great adversity comes great opportunity, and there is no reason that Haskins can't overcome it at some point, whether it's to start the season, whether it's early in the season, late, or even into next year. I don't know. It will take an awful lot, and it might be difficult to gauge his real progress because of it. This is someone whom the entire organization believed needed to sit all of last year and learn. It has not been an ideal situation for him at all. That does not mean he'll fail. It's just that he has to work much harder to have the success that I know that he and the organization wants. And I'll make it clear. I've heard good things, and I've said this before, I've heard good things about what he's done in the offseason. And our last look at him was late in, was in December. We're not going to see him for maybe six months. So to know where, to, to feel like you know where he's at is just not accurate. We don't know where he's at. They're not going to know where he's at until the ball is being snapped and they're able to play games or able to show things in practice. And then we'll get a better feel. I know that he's my. What I'm anticipating is that he's going to be in really good shape, and that his his that he's been working on a lot of his mechanical stuff. So I'm curious to see how that goes. But it's really hard to judge a guy before you see where what what are the steps that he has taken. Usually in the off season, you see those steps. You see some of the progress in the spring. You see it in mini camp. You see it then in the training camp. You could see, for example, certain players in the past who you knew would have some trouble because you didn't see enough of the progress. Well, that's what we're not going to see. We're not going to have the ability to see that from Haskins. So every, anybody trying to write him off is based off guesswork. And, you know, that's not to say that he's going to succeed, but it just means that don't write him off. That would be silly at this point. And now, here's my conversation with Matt Bowen. 
Now I'm joined by one of my all-time favorites, Matt Bowen, former Redskin, former NFL player, NFL draft expert for the for ESPN, host of the you know one of the um, one of the stars of the matchup show on ESPN, one of my favorite shows with Greg Cosell and, and um, Sal Palantonio. So Matt, I appreciate you coming on here. And first of all, I just wanted to check in and how are you guys surviving in Illinois? Well, the ultimate thing right now is for um, with my wife and my four boys is to stay safe, you know, to play our role in this. Um, and we're staying at home. Uh, you know, as I was talking to you before, it's, it's a tremendous help that my wife is a high school science teacher. So that helps tremendously with the e-learning with her boys. Sure. She also has to teach her students online as well. Uh, so trying to create a schedule for that. And, you know, with four boys at home, they're very close in age. Um, <clears throat> I have a couple wrestlers, so you want to get them outside. Okay. So I go outside with them every day. And as a high school coach at IC Catholic, I have all the gear here. So right. I have all the tackling dummies, the blocking sleds, everything. So we go in the backyard and we almost put together a practice, so to say, back there with the boys and get them moving and, um, you know, take advantage of the time we have together at home right now. But, you know, the ultimate thing, like I said, is to, our goal is to stay safe at home and continue the learning process uh, through the end of the school year. Sure. And, you know, it's funny because you bring up, the, you know, the boys being able to spend time together, and that's how you, don't, you have to look for some sort of a positive in any of this because I mean, there aren't a lot. But we have three boys who are not right now are all home, and they do get a chance to spend a lot of time together, and that's, that's a time that they would not have had ordinarily. So you, you try to take little victories wherever you can get them right now. I agree. Um, so let's let's get on to the NFL. And first of all, for for ESPN, when are the shows coming up for you? They're coming up soon. We don't have an exact date. Obviously, this is a unique situation. Right, right. Uh, you know, usually we would have already um, been close to filming our first draft show. We have two draft shows every year for matchup show with myself and Sal Pal and Greg Cosell, and they're prime time slots on ESPN and ESPN two. They're great. And, John, you know, you're, you watch the show every week, and we yeah. do it from a different perspective at NFL Matchup. We look at scheme and how players fit in schemes. That's what we do with the draft prospects. We're looking at their NFL traits, how those traits transition to the pro level, what type of scheme fit would put them in the best position to highlight those traits and to lead to NFL production. So it's a unique situation. Like I said, we're not going to be in the studio this year. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not going to travel at this point in time. Uh, so we're going to do it from home, and we're working hard right now and putting together the pieces, trying to get the best product ready to highlight these draft prospects and to use our analysis with it. So that's we're in the process right now. The shows have not been officially scheduled at a certain time and date yet, but they are coming, and they will have two shows that will come on before the draft starts on the 23rd. So right now we're still in the process of finding the right film, breaking down the prospects, working with our graphic designers who are the best, right. uh, best around at designing these play breakdowns. And then we're going to work together to make it work, to present the best product we can and to continue on with our jobs. And, and that's what, you know, and I think people are going to be dying to watch some of this stuff whenever, when the dates are announced because people are just hungry for anything like this. So let's dive into it with the draft. And I want to start off you had just been tweeting about him recently with about Tua. And I'm right. just curious what your take is on him 
And obviously I'm asking because the Redskins do have the second pick and I don't right. think they're going to go in that direction, but he is a guy that a lot of people ask about. So what is your, what are your takeaways for, with him? Well, you bring up, a, you know, first you bring up a great point with Washington at number two. I don't believe they're going quarterback either, John, right. but they could get some phone calls in that sure. situation. And I think that should be expected, whether it's for Tua, whether it's for, you know, another player, whether it's for Justin Herbert, maybe Jordan Love climbs. We don't know that yet. Uh, but in terms of Tua, I've watched a lot of film on him. I think he, uh, you know, my team at a at matchup, Greg Cosell, says he needs to play stylistically like Drew Brees. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty much in agreement with that. I think he needs to play stylistically like Kurt Warner, my former teammate with the St. Louis Rams. Okay. And what I mean by that is an, as a quarterback who throws with accuracy, timing, rhythm, and anticipation from the pocket. I think he's a pocket thrower at the, at the next level. You know, I know there's a lot of comps out there about Tua. <clears throat> he does have escapability. He does have the footwork to manage the pocket when the pocket gets muddy and starts to collapse. But I don't think he's a high-end athlete outside of the pocket. Right. I really don't believe that. I think he's a good mover. I think it's someone that can navigate pressure. But I don't think he's a guy that's going to consistently pull the ball down and pick up chunk plays on the ground with his legs. I think he's best suited to play inside the pocket and to be very accurate with the football, win with ball location, win with speed that comes out. What I mean by that, John, he's got a very quick release. He's a twitchy thrower. Yep. His upper body mechanics, they tie in very well with his lower body mechanics. So that ball comes out hot. <clears throat> Excuse me, if you're designing a system for him, John, pro-style concepts, what he threw at Alabama, against a pro-style route tree, in addition to heavy play action, in addition to heavy run-pass option. And again, that goes, down, that goes back to his eyes, his experience running RPOs at Alabama, and the speed the ball comes out with. I think he's a very good prospect. I think he'd be a really solid pro quarterback. System will matter. And understanding what he is. Now, remember, he's a six-foot quarterback. Right. You know, there are you – know, look, I always look at the process like this, and I look at it from a coaching perspective, too. John, tell me what they can do, okay? <clears throat> no different than what I do with my players at IC Catholic on Friday nights. Let's put them in the best position – to be productive football players. And that's what you can do with all these quarterbacks. Now, do they have weaknesses? Of course they do. Every player has weaknesses. I would love for someone to put my draft report out when I came out in 2000. There was probably 10,000 weaknesses on there and two or three good things, okay? Right. So every player has, has things. And I want to, you know, I use the term weakness. I probably shouldn't say that. Areas that need to develop. Sure. Okay, areas that need to develop. With two, I think it's, Sometimes he climbs a little too much in the pocket, okay? He climbs a little too much in the pocket. And you always want to see a quarterback react well versus pressure in the climb when they feel it on the edge. Six-foot quarterback, how far can he climb in an NFL pocket? Okay, right. and he thinks he need, the ball needs to come out a little faster in terms of when he's in the pocket. Not the release that we're talking about in terms of getting the ball out a little quicker. His deep ball ability. Okay, I don't think he's a true deep ball thrower. Did he throw the ball down the field at Alabama? Of course he did. And what I mean by a deep ball thrower, it's the same with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is not a true deep ball thrower. He's not a guy you want in a true vertical offense. But again, John, how many true vertical offenses do you see in the NFL anymore? Right. You just don't. Not a lot. You, you don't. It's all about timing, rhythm, throwing inside, breaking routes, throwing crossers, creating conflict for def defenses that play zone coverages, creating coverage voids down the field, and creating open window throws for your quarterback. You know, I like Tua. I like him a lot. But does someone come up to number two for him? That could happen. That could happen. Honestly, I think if you're looking at fits, I'm going to write a piece for ESPN as it come out next week about the right. best landing spots for these quarterbacks. Obviously, I like Burrow at number one. One, because of the traits, the talent, but also his fit in that 
that Bengals system, which is, you know, Sean McVay's type of offense. With two, I think it's at Miami at five. One, you got to be logical, you know, in terms of draft value and draft right. projection. I look at their new offense coordinator, Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey has coached every offense. He can design an offense for two. I really think that'd be a great landing spot for him. One, because you have a veteran quarterback there, Ryan Fitzpatrick. He doesn't have to rush back. We don't really know if he's healthy or not to play yet. Okay, so now you have a situation of a veteran quarterback there. You can start to design a system for Tua. And he can continue to rehab and get better, get better, and then to continue his pro career. With Tua, because obviously I want to go to the Redskins for one minute. You're looking there, and that's one of the debates. And again, it's, I don't. They're not going to take him. I don't. I really don't believe that. But what would you do, knowing what you do? And and I think you have to factor in the durability concerns because that's been a big concern. I know some people right. look at his injury history and say. Well, may, these might not be nagging injuries that are going to fall in the NFL. Style of play and the number of hits he's going to take in the NFL are going to make him more susceptible. That's the theory. But what would you do if you're the skins at number two? Would you look at him? Because they've obviously talked to him. Would you look at him or would you roll the way they are going to probably going to roll, which is with Dwayne Haskins as quarterback and probably chase him? Uh, I mean, I think you have to have that just discussion, John. Sure. I'm sure they're having it right now. You have to. I mean, you have, have to. to. You're the number two pick in the draft. You have to look at all your options. Absolutely. Okay. You have you have to bring Justin Herbert into that discussion. Sure. Jordan Love, if you if you feel that strongly about Jordan Love and his upside, I think Jordan Love is tremendous ceiling as a ball distributor. And I didn't say that. I should have said that with Tua too. One thing we talk about at matchup is is are they a ball distributor from the pocket? Does the offensive pass game run through them? And that's what I think Tua is. That's what I think Jordan Love is as well. Justin Herbert, I don't see that as much yet. Can he develop into that? Sure, he can. But, you know, outside of Burrow, in terms of guys that can just consistently distribute the football from the pocket, that's Jordan Love and Chua. Mm -hmm. What I ultimately think that Washington will do, I don't think you pass on Chase Young. I don't. I'm putting together my pieces right now. I'm going to break down Chase Young on the matchup show. And and I'm I'm a big believer in his talent. I really am. You start with the, you know, we know he's got size and speed. I don't need testing numbers for that. John, I just right. don't. Give me the film. I can see it on the film. You can see it on he's the film. Ex- he's a quick twitch athlete off the football. He explodes off the football. He's got power at the point of attack. He's got strength at the point of attack. He's got high-level counter moves at the point of attack. And he's got the speed, the quickness, and the bend on the edge, plus the short area speed to close to the quarterback. Now, I mentioned a lot of things right there, but that's what, if I'm drafting in the top five, that's what I want in a pass rusher. Right. Exactly what I want in the pass rusher. You know, the flip side of that is A.J. Epinesa. Now, obviously, I'm biased, John, you know. Right. We talk about prospects in the University of Iowa, especially A.J. I play with his father at Iowa. Outstanding family, outstanding character. A.J. is a different, different edge rusher than Chase Young. He isn't as twitchy or doesn't have the elite bend and athleticism on the edge. Okay? But again, that's why A.J. is probably, you know, the back half of the first round, somewhere sure. in that mix. Good he's a true defensive end, okay? And I look at Chase Young and I say he's a true edge guy. He's an impact guy for your defense. And you look at what Washington has. You start continue to build that defensive front. You add Chase Young to the mix, you got a lot of talent on that defensive front and a lot of guys that can create disruption. And my thing with, my thing with Young, have, again, you know my where I went to school and, I, you know, I – got a chance to watch Chase Young because of my Ohio State ties, but I don't want to, like, what you never want to do is bring that into your analysis because you need to right. be honest about it. But when you watch him and you watch 
guys are the edge rushers, the impact they make, it seems like they can have an impact on almost everybody else on that field on defense because of what they can do. I agree. And you can also, you know, it's not just Chase Young, you're going to rush off the edge. No, you look at what San Francisco did last year. I think this is a great example. Yep. Because San Francisco had four pass rushers. That's why they played in the Super Bowl. That's why they almost won a Super Bowl ring is because of their defensive pass rush. They could play coverage behind it. They weren't a heavy pressure team. And their pass rush, and what I'm talking about their pass rush, it's, it's, in, it's in nickel or dime situations. You get your best four in the field. They schemed pass rush situations. Yes. They created a lot of one-on-ones for Bosa. They did. They forced protection to slide away from him. The next time they'd force protection to slide away from D Ford, they used a ton of twist stunts. They would walk a linebacker up, John, to create a five-man front. Okay, and the reason they did that is, again, to scheme up protection schemes. Because you're not just going to rush your, your front four and say, well, okay, someone go win one-on-one. That's not – I mean, sometimes that happens. But that's, not, that's not real football. You're right. scheming. You're creating matchups. And you can do that if you have multiple pass rushers. And that gives you a lot of options, what you want to do from a secondary perspective. Hey, everyone looks good in the secondary. I'm telling you right now, everyone looks good in the secondary when that ball has to come out. Why? Because now you're playing downhill on the football. You're not waiting for guys to eat up your cushion and run past you, right? You're not. You're playing downhill. You're playing much more aggressive. You're seeing things faster as a safety in a corner or as a slot corner. And you're being more aggressive and competitive in terms of your play style and the urgency you play with from a secondary perspective because that quarterback is tired of getting hit. He is tired of getting hit. He wants the ball out of his hands. And that's a beautiful thing from a defensive perspective. That's when you start to take over games and start to dictate the tempo of the game. That's when you do that, when it's a, it's a mix of a pass rush and an aggressive secondary that wants to compete and play with urgency. Can you also – can you eliminate a lot of routes in your mind before the snap if you get it – like what San Francisco was doing last year, could they eliminate – like, well, in, you know you're not, they're not going to throw this, this, and this because the pressure coming in here. Can, how much can you eliminate pre-snap knowing what the rush might be able to do? Well, it also depends on the, on the – well, let's just start with protection. Are they going to keep – they going to keep the back end? Are they going to give you six-man protection? Okay, you're gonna, you have a better idea. Are they going to keep more in? Go to seven-man protection. Well, now you know a lot what's coming. There's only so much you can do. When you go to seven, seven or even eight-man max protection, now there's not many guys running routes anymore, right? Right. You get a better feel for that. But also down-and-distance plays a huge part in it. Game situation plays a huge part in it. But you know, longer developing routes, if you're going to use base protection schemes, balls have to come out a little quicker. You're not going to get as much long developing routes with multiple breaking routes down the field. And that's why you can be more aggressive as a player. Gives you an edge. You're always looking for an edge, every snap, especially in critical down and distance situations. That's why you draft and why you pay pass rushers. It's for those situations. Those situations win football games. They get you into January, and they let you advance in January. How did you analyze Chase's game against Clemson? What I did is I just watched the tape, and I'll tell you what, he got pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. He got pressure on the quarterback. Now, there's, there's different, different opinions on this, John, okay? You can look, look at total pressures, right? That's, that's an important number, right? Total mm-hmm. pressures means something. The trade-off for total pressures is are you creating disruption? Okay, because you don't want to be the guy that almost got there, right? You don't want to be that guy. Well, I almost got there. I almost made a play. Right. You know, that's great. You know, <laughs> I can tell you from playing with, for Greg Williams, you don't, you don't want to be that guy. All right. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy that almost, almost does it. Right. <laughs> you want to be the guy that finishes. But off of that 
before, John, when I played in Washington for Greg Williams and Joe Gibbs, we track ball disruptions or disruptions, period. Okay. And disruptions can be a hit on the quarterback that forces right. him to come off his primary read and throw it out of bounds. A hit on the quarterback that leads to a, a pass broken up by a, a defensive back. I'll tell you right now, I'm doing a play on matchup of Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State, who I think is a top 10 talent. And he makes a play on T. Higgins, breaking on a dig route, which is a square end. Well, the ball had to come out early. You know why it had to come out early? Because yeah. Chase Young was in the, in the backfield on Trevor Lawrence. Okay, so that's a disruption to me. Was he registering sack numbers in that game? No. But was he registering disruptions? Yes, he was. So he still made an impact in the football game. He still made an impact, and that's what you want to see. You want to see him get hits on the quarterback, make the quarterback panic, and make him throw it away or make him throw it into coverage. And that's what Chase Young did in, in that game against Clemson. And, you know, it's funny because I went back and watched that game the other day just to see that because, like, okay, my, I know that he was in the backfield a lot, but Lawrence was getting rid of the ball in 2.3 or less on many, many of his throws. Yes. And they were doing things, you know, and when they weren't, they were chipping him. They were using the tight end of the back. Um, so they had yeah. to change what I think they wanted to do in order to, to offset what they felt like Young could do otherwise. And so, But I did want to ask you about – Two others in that game, because if the Redskins trade back, which is a possibility, I think it would take a massive haul. And I don't know that they're going to get that. But let's say they let's say they trade to number five. Now you're sitting there with maybe Isaiah Simmons or Jeffrey Okuda. Who would you think would be the better pick for them? You know, and I, they may not have a choice between the two. I don't think they would. But if you could say well, this would be the perfect guy for that defense, which one would it be? Well, it depends on where you're going to play Simmons. See, I see Isaiah Simmons as a safety. A lot of people disagree with me. But I've heard others say that too. And, and this is the reason why. I, you know, everyone likes player comps. And sometimes they're very hard to do, especially with someone like Isaiah Simmons, who's 6'4", 238, right. and ran a sub 4440. Okay. That is a very hard comp. But I think it's Derwin, I think it's Derwin James from the Los Angeles Chargers. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that, that type of impact player, the downhill player. Okay. You saw, well, well let's start with a couple of things, John. Going back to that Ohio State game, you saw the range he had from the post and the, and the play he and the terrific pass range. he picked off from Justin, Justin Fields. What that was was a corner blitz, safety overlaps the top. I don't think Fields thought he can get there. I really don't. That's why I threw that football, trying to hit the vertical down the sideline. That's tremendous range. That's stuff you can't teach. That's vision. That's anticipation. That's understanding your defensive scheme and understanding where the quarterbacks want to go with the football. And why I say safety is not just because of that play. I think he's more in a quarters-based defense. Uh, quarters-based defense is when you play quarters coverage. Right. You divide the, the field in the quarters, four quarters across. And that allows you to match the inside verticals. That allows you to cut crossers. That allows you to run the alley as an alley defender. I think he has those traits. Can he match up the tight end? Sure. You saw the national championship game against Thaddeus Moss. Okay, yeah. He can make those plays for you. Can he blitz? Of course he can. Can you scheme up pressures for him? Yes. Is he a true edge rusher? I don't think so. I don't. I don't think Derwin James is either. I think you scheme up those blitzes to where you force protection to slide away. And now what you have is you have an Isaiah Simmons or you have a Derwin James matched up on the running back and pass protection. And then the NFL, you don't get free – very often get free runs at the right. quarterback. You got to go beat him. So I think he can beat running backs in protection. Yes, I do. I do believe he has those traits. And now comes to your sub-packet situation, and that's really where you can get creative with him. And your base defense is your quarter safety. Your box safety also, as we just talked about, has range in the post. But in your sub-packages, he can be a lot of things. 
that's where you can be your hybrid dime safety linebacker. You know, if you play nickel with three safeties, he's your third safety underneath to match playing the run front to blitz, do creative things. That's where he gives, gains even more value in the National Football League. But I'll tell you, if you put him at Mike linebacker, I don't think you're utilizing his traits. I don't think he plays his best football, John, when there's a lot of bodies around him. I don't. I think he's an edge player that plays best in space where he can close on ball carriers, whether in the run game or the pass game, uses pads, uses length, uses short area speed to close in the football. That, to me, sounds like a safety. Okay, if you put him at will linebacker, if you put him at will linebacker, I'm going to run weak side iso at him. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to run weak side iso at him consistently. Okay, because I want to see how he responds to that and plays with bodies around him. Again, at the safety position, now you're playing top down on everything. Now you're running alleys. Now you're filling backside A gap on run. Now you become more a player that can use his range and ability in space to make plays in the football. And I think that's where he's at his best. And it's nothing against, to answer your question, John, it's nothing against Jeffrey Okuda. I mean, Jeffrey Okuda has the best man coverage traits in this draft class. He's a pro-ready prospect. And right now, what you want at the cornerback position, you want guys that can play man coverage. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's why Henderson from Florida is going to get drafted higher than people think. Right. That's why players like Jalen Johnson from Utah really like. Jeff Gladney from TCU. Those are man coverage corners. I got to have those guys to win right, right now. Right. You want to take away like, quick game and RPO? You sit in zone, you're not taking it away. You're going to have to play more man coverage in those situations. Third and two to six. And you want to bring pressure. So Jeff Okuda, would, if Washington was in a position to draft him, you should really like to pick. He's a right. top 10 football player. But in that situation, I think Isaiah Sims is more of an impact player gotcha. who gives you more versatility as a defensive play caller if you utilize him right. And, and it's funny that you say about the safety part because I had someone else tell me that the other day too. They thought he was a safety. And then somebody else worried that in the 4-3, where would you play him? And I think they were looking at linebacker. And I think they had the same thought you did, which they'd be a little bit concerned at the weak side spot. And then the question was, does he have – will he be elite at one – you know, he can play a lot of different spots, but will he be elite at any of the spots? It sounds like you think he would be an elite safety. I do think he'd be an elite safety. Now, look, let's say you do put him as a 4-3 will linebacker because he's not going to be your strong side backer. Okay, as a Will linebacker, he's still going to have a lot of traits to play the position, John. Sure. It's not, that doesn't mean he can't play it. Can he still be an impact player there? Sure. Not at the Mike Bagger position. I don't agree with that. But if you're going to put him at Will, okay, he's got sideline to sideline speed. He can clog up passing lanes all day as a hook defender in a zone system. Uh, you can scheme up and, and create blitzes from the Will linebacker position. Uh, he can run with tight ends and seam routes or run with running backs out of the backfield at the low linebacker position. But this, my concern is, is he an ultra-physical player at the point of attack? Because NFL offenses are going to test him out. If you're going to put him in a box as a linebacker, that's what they're going to do. I mean, it, we'll see. We'll see. Because I do believe some teams are going to target him as a, as a will linebacker. And also, let's say you trade back. Does Isaiah Simmons get past the New York Giants at number I don't four? think so. Right. That's a big thing. And – you know, the Giants are interesting to me, John, because I can see him going offensive tackle there. I can see him going Simmons there. I can see him go defensive tackle there with someone like a Derrick Brown, you know. So, yeah. that's a, you know, the Giants are a very interesting draft in their draft position right now at number four because that's really going to impact the top ten. 
one of those guys, one of those tackles is one of your guys, Tristan Works. He is. You know, Tristan Works is, uh, <clears throat> you know, University of Iowa, coached and developed by Kirk Ferentz and strength coach Chris Doyle. Uh, great athletic traits, a very easy mover at that size. Yeah. Anyone who watched the combine or just looked at his testing numbers can see that. I mean, he's he has rare athleticism and and size for that position. Was a four sport athlete in high school at I and on state of Iowa, you could play four sports. His baseball's in the summer, so he's a four sport athlete. He's got a wrestling background. That's big to me now. I didn't used to think that as much as that, John. But since I got into high school coaching and saw how wrestling impacts your and offensive hand -to -hand defensive line, yeah, just that and the you know. Look, I've, I've told you before, that, that, that training camp I had with, with Joe Gibbs and Greg Williams was like the worst experience uh, condition-wise <laughs> in my life. Okay, I've never been in a harder situation before. Two days with pads and inside run drill with no running back and just running into people. You know, the conditioning with Greg, wrestling's harder than that. It just is. It just, it's, uh, it's it just is. It is the most challenging sport, I believe. And – the fundamentals, the balance, you talked about the hand usage, uh, the physicality that comes out of that. Offensive linemen with wrestling backgrounds. I think that's a key thing. And Worfs gives you that. Now, the, the, the offensive line class is interesting because I think you're going to have four or five, maybe even six, you're going to have some guys jumping in that back end of the first round as well. But Worfs is in that mix. There's no doubt Worfs is in that mix. Is he the first O-lineman? I don't know that yet. Is he more of a guard, like Brandon Sheriff? You know, plays in Washington, you know, was a tackle at Iowa and then transitions to the guard spot. I don't know that yet, but the thing I do know, he makes your football team better. He makes your football team more physical and athletic up front. He's a high-character kid because he played for Kirk Ferentz. And, you know, obviously, one, one of, I guess got a couple more here, more here for you, Matt, and I appreciate your time. One of the things with the resident, the dilemma or the, the question is, are you better off taking Chase Young or are you better off trading back to five, getting a couple more picks, and maybe getting guys that way. And I also say that saying, I don't know that anybody's going to give them the kind of package that will force them to move. I think there's an assumption being made that Miami's going to give them five and 18 and a second rounder in the future, this and that. I don't know that they will be that aggressive to move up for Tua, but what would you say? So, but let's say they will. Let's say they can get five and 18 from the Dolphins. Would you rather have the combo of five and 18 or Chase Young? I'd rather have Chase Young. I, I, that's a great question because it's talked about every draft season, right, John? Yeah. You know, you know, fans talk about it. You know, I talk about it. You talk about it. You know, the what do you get from trading back? Well, the first thing you have to tell yourself as an organization is we're giving up a chance to get a great football player. Right. And we're, we are, you have to tell yourself as, as a franchise in Washington, we're passing on Chase Young. We're willing to give up on Chase Young, who is the top edge rusher in this class. And along with Isaiah Simmons, the most impactful defensive player in this class. We're giving that up. Now, I can see why you do it, you know, to gain extra picks, to get it to. And you need to address the wide receiver position. Yes. Yeah, John, I don't think you can go into the season with the depth chart at wide receiver they have right now. Agreed. I don't think you can. Because if I'm game planning as Washington right now, I'm going to bracket or double McLaurin every snap. I'm going to make you go somewhere else with the football. I'm going to take my chances. I'm not going to let McLaurin catch the football. I'm not going to let him beat me. And I'm going to tell you that you got to you got to throw to your other guys. You got to get your other guys open. So if you don't have a two and you draft Chase Young, now you're into that third round. Um, 
Now, is there players? Yeah. This, look, John, this wide receiver class, I wrote something about ES, at ESPN a couple weeks ago uh, about the best fits. There's talent in this wide receiver class. A lot of uh, I think it's going to go all the way into the fourth round. But I do think you're going to see some movement, and that could come in the second round where teams start to move up if we see an earlier run on wide receivers with that second tier of wide receivers. Right. But would a guy like Brian Edwards from South Carolina be there? Maybe. In the third round. That's who I had going to Washington in my post. In the third round, someone, you had him going there? Yeah. Someone a little bit more size, 6'3", 215. Don't have testing numbers on him. Doesn't matter. Watch the film. He's physical. He can create enough separation on inside breaking cuts. Uh, he can make plays and contested throws. They used him a little bit at South Carolina, jet sweeps or speed sweeps. He does have some versatile traits. It's not, you know, doesn't have high-end, um, you know, explosive traits like a Jerry Judy does, like a C.D. Lamb does. I don't see that in his game, but a good solid receiver, if you're talking about, you know, into the third round, that could be an option. About Van Jefferson from Florida. Yeah. Now, Van Jefferson from Florida, one of the best route runners in this class. Okay. And I get asked all the time. You know, there's a big discussion, John, about who's the top receiver. Is it CeeDee Lamb, uh, you know, from Oklahoma, or is it Jerry Judy? And I always tell people it's Jerry Judy because he can route get open. That's all I say. He can get open. Yeah. Look, it doesn't matter if, if, uh, if I'm coaching as high school receivers Friday nights. We're talking about Sundays and the pros. The guys that get open, they make a lot of plays. Okay. Yeah. They make plays, and route running is a detailed art, and it takes a long time to develop that art in the pros. You want guys to come into the pros having already developed part of it, and then you can mold the rest of it against pro competition. But Van Jefferson is not a blazer. I mean, he's not a 4'2", 4'3", 4'3", guy, but he's got a six-foot-plus frame. He's over 200 pounds. He creates separation, and with a young quarterback, uh, in Washington, or even Kyle Allen, if he plays in Washington. You want someone that can get open. You need someone that can make plays in third downs for you. That's what you need. Sure. Those are drive-extending plays, and you got to have them. Uh, and if you want to call him a possession receiver, <laughs> doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Can you get open? Can you move the sticks from my quarterback? Uh, and, you know, Van Jefferson is a guy that you look at in that area. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota. Interesting player. Super productive in the Big Ten. I like him. Yeah. Uh, it, again, it does not have high-end speed, okay? Isn't going to create a ton of separation. Different than Van Jefferson as a route runner. But is nuanced in his route running. Could be your slot target inside at six foot plus, 200 pounds plus. Tremendous ball skills. Can go up and grab the football. Make plays outside of his frame. Very physical after the catch. Now third and seven to ten, you throw a shell across at five, he can drop his pads and get you the first out, right? Yeah. So everyone has different traits. It just depends on what type of system you run, how they fit into your offense. But I, if Washington does not address the wide receiver position uh, in the draft, I'd be very surprised. Because I, I look at the depth chart and I could say that it's just not enough right now, John. I'd be shocked, and I think they'd be in trouble if they don't. And the very last question – haven't talked to you since they brought on Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio. I'm curious what your thoughts are on them. And, you know, I don't know how much, you know, Del Rio worked for ESPN. I don't know if you dealt with him up there much at all. What, what, do you, what were your thoughts on, on those two, and what do you think they bring to Washington? Well, the first thing you look at, let's look at it from a player perspective, okay, because that's whenever there's a coach change, what are you expecting as a player? Well, with Coach Rivera and – Del Rio, you're expecting veteran presence. 
that's the first thing. You're expecting guys with defensive backgrounds, defensive head coaches, uh, and defensive coordinator guys that view the game from a different lens, so to say. Um, and that goes all the way down to how they handle game situations, how they practice, uh, what their priorities are for your football team. It's a little different. But as a player perspective, I'd be excited because you have Coach Rivera, who's won in Carolina, W.O., who has multiple years of experience and as a player. Right. Same with Coach Rivera as a player, former player. You'd be excited for that. Um, in terms of what they're going to run schematically, I mean, you have kind of an idea. But I think it's more important, to, you know, especially in a place like Washington, where there hasn't been a lot of winning for a long time. Can they create a new identity for that football team and for that entire program and establish a winning culture? That's the most important thing right now. Scheme and, and that stuff is, is, is great, John. But I can tell you from my experience as a player and now as a coach, obviously a much lower level than the Washington Redskins. That stuff is more important than scheme every day of the week. Agreed. And how you practice, how you prepare, how you play, what the priorities are for your football team. Um, what type of leadership you have in your football team. And I've always said this. A lot of people disagree with me. But in my opinion, the head coach should be the most important man in the building. More important than the general manager, more important than the owner from the perspective of the players. Okay? And if the head coach is the most important man in the building, then you're going to have a chance to win. Well, I think, I think right now, Ron Rivera certainly is. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And then, you know, you know how it is here too. There's always a level of hope in the off season and then things go a certain way, but it does seem like they're working to build um, with a certain mindset in, in, in mind. So we'll see, hopefully things get back out there and, and hopefully we see football in the fall. You know, that's, that's, right. the thing. that's, a, that's what we don't know. Let, let me ask one more thing before I let you go. How would you handle as a player, what would you be doing now to stay sharp and stay ready? Because this is so unprecedented. All right. Well, it's a different, different time in terms of technology. You know, we didn't have that access uh, to film, okay, in the early 2000s. You got DVDs, okay? Right. We didn't have iPads or anything. So uh, it'd be, a little, you know, for the player of today, you have access to all the tape. Uh, because of technology, you can download tape, you can study yourself, you can study your opponents. That should be a top priority for you. Self-scouting and your divisional opponents. You can use this extra time. You get more film time to know everything about your divisional opponents. Know what your matchups are going to be. Study those like crazy. Find the strengths and weaknesses of your opponent and find how to expose those weaknesses. And then flip it around and look at your own tape. What are your strengths and weaknesses? How are teams going to attack you? Because you have to know that as a player. Right. Next thing is, is, you know, the strength and conditioning. And that's a challenge right now. That is a challenge right now. Without a facility to train at, whether you're at a team facility or working out with a personal trainer, you, you, you can't do either. So that's the challenge, is how you keep yourself in shape. And football conditioning is, is different. You can ride the spin bike. You can go outside and run miles for days. Still not going to get you ready to play football, right? You needed to be doing – high-intensity explosive training in the weight room. And that's hard to do right now. So you have to get – I would think if I was a player, you'd have to get creative. You have to get creative. And I'm not saying you're going outside throwing logs and stuff like that. But you'd have to get creative to a point where you can train your body to be explosive and be, you know, more functional movements that pertain to the game of football. That's the hard part to do without a gym, without a strength coach. That's, that's a very challenging thing to do. So. 
It's a tough time. It just, it just really is. I mean, it's a challenging time for obvious reasons right now, but it's also a challenging time from a football perspective because you just don't have the access right now to train the way you normally would. Tough time, no doubt. Matt, thank you very much for coming on. Anybody listening, you can read Matt's, Matt's work on ESPN.com. And like he said, he's going to have the quarterback fits coming up this coming week. And then pay attention to when the NFL matchup show regarding the draft comes on because it's always, always insightful and great work. Matt, thanks a lot. Thank you, John. Welcome back. Finally, this is a difficult time for everyone listening, I'm sure. I know it is for us out here, and I know many have it far worse than we do. I don't know how you're getting through these days, but for me, it's about starting the day with certain music just to calm myself. Andrea Bocelli, Louis Armstrong, the Canadian tenors, Miles Davis, etc. Some soft music that can just kind of calm the nerves a little bit. That plus some coffee, some reading puts me in a better frame, or I should say maybe a less worse frame. Long walks with my wife and the dog. Being able to spend time with my family, playing games, talking, watching shows, all that has helped. As our kids get older, we know that they'll be out of the house for good within a few years. We will not get back this time together. It's sad that a pandemic forced this upon us, but it is something that we will cherish. We're using Zoom to connect with former neighbors on the street we used to live on for 10 years. We're all being creative and pretty damn patient. It's not easy. I just hope and pray that there's less pain ahead. Football helps me out quite a bit. This isn't a hobby for me. It's my job, and it's a sport that may or may not return this year. That's not a pleasant prospect for someone who makes their living writing about the sport. But I can't control it, so I have to focus on what I can't control. You're listening to this podcast helps me as much as I hope it helps you. Anyway, I'd like to thank Matt Bowen for joining me. He's always generous with his time. And thank you for listening. Stay safe and stay strong. Talk to you next time.